Thank you for listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This week's episode is a sermon by Reverend Marvin Lindsay titled, Squeaky Wheel Gets the Grease. It's a message about the importance of persistence in the Christian life, and it's based on Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The Phillies won yesterday. Eagles are going to win tonight. It's just, you don't even want, need to watch the game unless you like to see Dallas lose, which, you know, who doesn't like that? Um, but then after this, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are a couple of Cowboy, there are Cowboy fans everywhere, so of course there's going to be a couple here. Um, but then tomorrow comes and we have to go to work. have to go to work. A lot more of us these days seem to be feeling like that about our jobs and about our professions. Uh, Last year, an economist coined this phrase called the great resignation to describe this strange phenomenon where employers couldn't fill open positions. And this year, the phrase of the year seems to be quiet quitting. Uh, So if you can't take this job and shove it, then uh, you can at least do the bare minimum in your position in order to stay gainfully employed. But other duties as assigned? No, no, no. <laughs> We're not doing any other duties as assigned. And this feeling seems to be driven by an increase in, if you can measure this anyway, in uh, the experience of burnout in the workplace. Now, burnout is a kind of squishy term. Uh, It's not really used uh, with a great deal of precision. But social scientists do actually have a definition for what it means to be burned out. It means that in your workplace, you're experiencing three symptoms. You're experiencing exhaustion, you're experiencing cynicism, and you're experiencing feelings of ineffectiveness. And you can see how those have crept up. uh, And you... You know, you probably know stories, and maybe you can tell a few stories yourself. Teachers, for instance, are exhausted. They had to completely change uh, their pedagogy on a dime. And then many teachers, not only did they have to find a whole new way of teaching, they had to supervise their own children who were learning a whole new way to learn at the same time. And they're, they're worn out. Cynicism. Managers and staff are cynical about each other these days. The managers are looking at their staff and they're like, what are they doing at home? You know, are they getting anything done? Are they just sitting in their pajamas and, you know, watching YouTube all day? And then the staff are cynical about their management as well. The staff is like, why are they calling me back to work? Like, I I have to get on the train and go into downtown, and what do I do there? I just, I do the same thing I do here. I sit in Zoom meetings all day. I I could do that, you know, at home and save myself the commute. People don't trust each other anymore. People don't believe that one another have each other's best interests at heart. And then feelings of ineffectiveness. You know, doctors and nurses feeling terribly ineffective right now because so many people die under their care. We're carrying a lot these days, and one of the ways that we carry it is by experiencing burnout in our places of work. It's undoubtedly fueled by the pandemic, but here's the thing. Burnout is not a new phenomenon. It may be as old as human beings 
and human civilization. I know that if you go back in the history of Christianity to the 4th and 5th centuries, when uh, men and women in large numbers began to leave civilization and live a monastic lifestyle in deserted regions, their uh, spiritual fathers and mothers started to notice that some of them suffered from uh, a spiritual malady that kind of resembles the modern phenomena of burnout. They called it acedia. And uh, acedia is a hard word to translate, but it can mean things like idleness or torpor or sloth or listlessness, a feeling of malaise. And sometimes they would talk about acedia in personalized terms. They would call it the noonday demon. That's a reference to a passage of scripture in the book of Psalms. And they called it the noonday demon because it would seem as though this feeling of uh, listlessness would strike around the middle of the day. You know, the sun to the monk or the nun appeared to stand still. And the work that they were called to do, to read the scriptures and to pray, suddenly seemed to be overwhelmingly burdensome, tedious, just uh, awful to accomplish. And so to escape the tedium, the monk, instead of staying with his scriptures, would go to the edge of his cell and kind of, you know, look around. Maybe somebody's coming down the uh, way. Maybe they can relieve my sense of burden. This is like, uh, you know, your staff person who is spending all their time in the break room instead of at their desk doing their work. Or maybe it's like you uh, when you procrastinate by kind of checking TikTok or Facebook all the time instead of getting work done on that project. And after a while, um, they become irritable. They, the slightest provocation becomes an occasion for the monk to become uh, very upset and very angry. And then finally, there's this question of what's the use? You know, I came out here, I left the world to pursue God in a life of prayer and fasting and reading the scriptures. But after all this time, have I really changed? Am I a better person? Just what are we doing out here? You know, is any of this worth it? This feelings of worthlessness and feelings that ineffectiveness they have long been struggled with, whether your workplace is a desert cell or whether your workplace uh, is across the river in the city. And uh, later Christian leaders, like Martin Luther especially, would point out that the problem of acedia or the problem of spiritual burnout wasn't just a problem that afflicted monks and nuns. It was a problem that all of us struggle with from time to time. And I think that we have been struggling about with this uh, in congregations for the last couple of years, maybe even longer. And I, I'm not speaking just of this congregation. I'm speaking of most congregations. Uh, the noonday demon is out to get us. Think about those three uh, symptoms, exhaustion, cynicism, and feelings of ineffectiveness. Church life has been exhausting over the last couple of years. I mean, just doing the simplest things like gathering for worship or gathering for a committee meeting or gathering for a Bible study. We had to learn a whole new way to do that. And often what we had to learn was very taxing. You know, I, I can tell you, they didn't teach me how to be a videographer in seminary. They didn't teach me how to be a sound engineer or uh, they didn't teach me how to be an information technologist. But uh, 
But ministers and uh, music, musicians and congregation leaders had to acquire all of these skills you know, on the fly. Some of you had to acquire all of those skills on the fly. You had to figure out, you're still figuring out, I'm still figuring out, we're still figuring out, how do I mute ourselves on Zoom? It's like, it's just, gosh, I did it again. Just, I, I mean, I just, I made such a good point and nobody heard me. <laughs> Cynicism. It's easy to be cynical about organized religion these days. It seems like every day brings a new tale of scandal. Some prominent minister is caught engaged in sexual misconduct, in financial misconduct, or some successful minister has built not a church, but a cult of personality and has nourished a toxic workplace culture within that organization. And then it all comes falling apart. It's easy to be cynical. About organized religion. And then there are the feelings of ineffectiveness, which maybe Christians have always struggled with, but maybe we struggle with um, more and more in this time, this time of um, great challenge. Prayers seemingly go unanswered. Um, the same people keep showing up at our uh, shelter or at our food pantry at our, or at our other ministries of compassion month after month, year after year. We've come back, we've survived, and yet where is everybody? Where is everybody? And it's easy for church people to think and to wonder in our heart of hearts, what is the use? What's the use of all this? If you are discouraged, if you have uh, low, if any, hope left in the tank, if you are weary of living the life of Christian faith, then Jesus has a story for you. He's got a story to tell you, and that is the gospel lesson that we have just heard. Now, there's two main characters in this story. The first is a widow. What you need to know about widows in the Roman Empire is that they were extremely vulnerable people. In that world, your status as a woman depended completely on the closest male relative to you, your father, your husband, your sons. The widow doesn't have a husband. Perhaps she's outlived her father. The storyteller, Jesus, doesn't mention any sons. So she's an extremely vulnerable person. She is, she is extremely vulnerable to being abused, taken advantage of, scammed, as many senior citizens are in this day and age. And it appears as though that's exactly what happened to her. Someone exploited her. Someone took advantage of her. And so she goes to court to get redress for the wrong done to her. Now, she's got spunk in going to court and pleading her own case. But her spunk may also be yet more evidence of her vulnerability. In those days, it was not unheard of, but it was pretty rare for a woman to go into the male-dominated arena of the courts and litigate on her own behalf. So it may be that this woman is uh, before the judge because she doesn't have uh, an attorney or just a prominent male that she can call on to plead her case for her. But she goes. Anyway, she goes. And she goes before just <laughs> the worst person in the world. I mean, talk about drawing the short straw. 
this guy, this judge, fears neither God nor does he have any respect for other people. Not just Jesus' words, not just the words of the storyteller, but his own internal self-understanding. Eh, God, you know, what, you need something? It's your problem. It's not mine. And so it seems like the power imbalance it is just one that means that this woman's um, quest for justice is never going to come to fruition. It just seems like a hopeless situation. And yet, she keeps going. She goes to the court, give me justice against my opponent. Out of here. She comes back the next day, give me justice. Go on. And she comes back a third day, and day after day after day, she comes back, she returns, she pleads her case, she advocates for her, she demands that the judge do his job, do what is right, and finally, you would think that the old lady would be worn out by all this, but it's the judge who's worn out by this. Okay. And the judge gives her a favorable, favorable verdict. Why? Well, because as our translation says, he's afraid that she's going to wear him out. And this might not just be a figure of speech. The, the word in Greek, it literally means give a black eye to. I, I don't know what she did, but I, I kind of wonder if she approached the bench and, you know, sort of waving that cane a little you know, close to the judge's head. And so finally he's like, well, you know. I mean, I could put her in jail for an assault, but what am I gonna, how am I going to explain this to my friends? You know, I, I got beat up by a senior citizen. So he gives her what she wants. Now, this is a parable. We can learn something about this in our own frustrated relationship with God and in our own frustrations with being the people of God. But it's not like an exact you know, one-to-one ratio. It's not as though God is, God is the judge of the universe, but it's not as though God is a corrupt judge that we have to shame and badger and beat down before God's goodwill is done. And it's, uh, it's not as though, it's not as though our heavenly father is like heavenly earthly and fathers, like earthly fathers and mothers whose kids throw a temper tantrum right there in the middle of the grocery store because they want to, they want a candy bar and, you know, you just everybody's looking at you. And so fine, you kind of give them what they want to shut them up. God is not like that. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater here. Jesus is arguing that if persistence can sometimes get bad authority figures to do good, if, if you can sometimes get wicked people to do the right thing for the wrong reason, then how much more? Will persistence in the life of faith yield blessings for you and for the world if you continue in communication with God? The cure for spiritual burnout is persistence. The cure for spiritual burnout is persistence. The cure for spiritual burnout is persistence. If your prayer life is drying up and blowing away like a tumbleweed in Arizona, then the cure for that is to keep on praying. If reading scripture, this uh, spiritual soul food, is like eating sawdust, then keep on eating. The only way out is through. 
The only way out is through. Um, or, uh, as one of the spiritual masters told uh, the monks who were reading his works, a man named John, a fit of ascedia, that is that, that noonday demon, that spiritual torpor, a fit of ascedia should not be evaded by running away from it, but overcome by resisting it. And I can, I can say I have found this to be the case in my own spiritual life. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we get up in the morning and... Uh, well, one of us makes coffee for the other. For a while, it was me making coffee for her. But then you know, the last few months we were uh, in Missouri, it was uh, her making coffee for me. And she kind of wondered, how did that happen? But anyway, one of us would make coffee for the other. And then we would read our Bibles and pray together. Um, and we've been doing this for years now. And there have been times, uh, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, there have been times where uh, I just kind of wondered, oh, we have to do this again. Um, but I, I read the Bible, uh, and I prayed because my wife said, well, is it time to pray? Well, okay, I guess it is. And you kind of stay faithful to the discipline, and it's that faithfulness to the discipline and the faithfulness of God that brings you through to a place where prayer is easier, where the scriptures begin to once again yield up their fruit. I, I think that really for, the, uh, for Christians, the spiritual life is kind of a life of uh, seasons. You know, uh, winter always comes, but winter is always followed by spring and summer and then the harvest. Be faithful. Be faithful to the discipline. Keep on praying. Keep on reading your Bible. The other thing that the spiritual masters urged the monks and nuns to do to fight off the noonday demon was to engage in some kind of work, some kind of manual labor, preferably, that benefited not just themselves, but other people. So engage in some work that benefits other people. And I think that the kind of work that benefits other people that we need to consider, especially this morning, is the work of doing justice uh, as individuals and as groups. Because Jesus compares persistence in prayer to persistence in seeking justice in the courts, which we know sometimes uh, the machinery of the justice system, you know, turns slowly. But if we can persist in one, we can think about persisting in the other. Now, in this congregation, uh, some of us uh, are officers of the court. Some of us are attorneys. Uh, there may be uh, law enforcement officers who are members of this congregation or whom, to whom we are related. We also in this congregation have a uh, justice and advocacy committee, which highlights the ways that um, issues like poverty uh, are exacerbated by problems that uh, exist in our society, laws and customs and um, the accumulated weight of history. But the work of doing justice is not just for people with a particular profession or people who are serving on a particular committee. It's work for all of us. Uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah says, He has told you, O mortal, he referring to God, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So seeking justice is something for 
all mortals to do, and especially for people who are members of the household of faith. And seeking justice requires patience and perseverance, just as prayer requires patience and perseverance. I want to tell you the story about Rosa Parks. Uh, Rosa Parks, uh, you may know from history or from lived memory, uh, refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, and her act of defiance led to the desegregation of the Montgomery school bus system, uh, in, uh, not school bus system, but public transit system in the 1950s. And there's this kind of widespread um, perception that Rosa Parks had had a long day at work. She got on the bus. She was asked to move and yield to a white patron of the bus. And she just said, no, I'm not going to do that as if it were a kind of spontaneous act of defiance. But in fact, Rosa Parks had been preparing for that moment for her entire life. She was born in 1913 in Alabama. She was picked on as a child by the white kids in her neighborhood. She fought back. Kind of reminds me of that old lady in Jesus' story who maybe brandished her cane at the judge. She was one of the 7% of African-American females in her community to graduate from high school. She persisted in getting her own education in the face of a lot of adversity. She watched white kids being bused to school while she and her companions had to walk to school. In 1943, she became a member of the NAACP and she became secretary of that organization. And then a dozen years later, she attended a conference and an organizing session at a place called the Highlander Folk School, which was this kind of retreat center in Tennessee where people were trained in community organizing and in movements for racial justice. And so when she was on that bus that afternoon, she had been preparing her whole life for that moment. And maybe preparing with not, you know, a lot that would have brought her into the attention of other people. But she said no, she wouldn't give up her seat. And that became the start of a court battle and a boycott of the school book, of the, uh, the transit system in Montgomery. The black citizens of Montgomery refused to ride the bus for over a year. Some of them had to walk to work for 20 miles. But it was a a burden that they had been, in a sense, prepared to bear because a lot of them didn't get to ride the bus to school when they were kids. And the upshot of that was that the school, uh, I keep saying school bus, the bus system in Montgomery was desegregated and that effort and that victory in court was part of a wider movement to break down segregation in the South and usher in a new era of equality for all residents of Alabama and other states in our union. Segregation and Jim Crow wore down people for decades and decades, and yet decades and decades of small acts of resistance eventually wore down that unjust system. Now, I'm not saying you have to be Rosa Parks. Uh, There's only one Rosa Parks. Uh, Nobody can be Rosa Parks. But 
Nobody else can be you except you. All right. So pray without ceasing and read your Bible daily and think about who is it in our circles that is vulnerable to being exploited. Who is it in our community who um, whose cause needs to be vindicated? Who has been done wrong? And what can we do to right that wrong? Now, the solution to the problem of burnout at work may or may not be to take this job and shove it. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's something that uh, all of us have to decide for ourselves. But the solution to the problem of spiritual burnout is always faithfulness to the discipline. Faithfulness to prayer. Faithfulness to the scriptures. And faithfulness to God's invitation to each of us that we pursue justice in the confines of where we see injustice. We're able to do that because we are able to look beyond the successes or the failures of the present day to that great day that is promised to us when Jesus Christ will come again and make all things new. And so I think the scripture invites us all as a community to support one another and encourage one another in this ongoing Christian life, this, this ongoing discipline of being faithful to God and to one another, this ongoing discipline which has been kind of like running in two feet of water the last couple of years. Let's support one another in prayer. Let's support one another as we seek to defend the defenseless and to vindicate those who are oppressed. Or as Paul says in his letter to the church in Galatia, so let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.